Hello, welcome to Charity Chat. I'm your host, Samuel Davies. In this episode, we speak to friend of the show, Gareth Jones. Gareth, as you will remember, if you've listened before, did a very interesting episode with us about civil society, and uh, he works for Civil Society Media. We talk in this episode about ethics in charities, which is very appropriate given uh, coverage over the past few months. And um, we talk about uh, layers of uh, considerations for ethics and charities. We touch on some of them, including ethical investments, charity culture, executive pay, and quite a few more as well. There's plenty to listen to here. We also talk about internal and external aspects of ethics and what that means for charities and how they can be prepared to express their ethics when asked by the media. There's a lot of food for thought here, so whether you work in a charity, perhaps you're in charge of the PR of that charity or uh, the inner workings of that charity, or whether indeed you're looking to support a charity and discerning which charity you'd like to support, this podcast will be of interest to you. So without further ado, here is Gareth Jones speaking with me about ethics in charity. Hello and welcome to Charity Chat. I'm your host and uh, I'm here with friend of the show, Gareth Jones, Head of Editorial at Civil Society Media. How are you doing, Gareth? Yeah, right. Good, thanks. It's great to be back. I really appreciate you coming back because it was a really good episode we did a few months ago with you. We were talking about civil society and, uh, and kind, of a, a kind of a general touching on uh, civil society, introduction of civil society. And uh, in this episode, though, we're going to concentrate on a specific area, which is ethics in charity. And uh, we've had a little bit of a chat about this already, but uh, what, how, how important is ethics in charity, would you say? Uh, I think it's really important. I mean, it is difficult, and we have to get the caveats in that charities are operating on constrained budgets, and so we can't say, oh, do this, do that, and spend all this money on being ethical. It's very, very difficult. But at the same time, I do think we all have a responsibility as citizens in societies, and we can act as individuals in the way that we... Uh, uh, make purchasing decisions and all these sorts of things, but we need to make sure we bring our morals into the into the workplace as well, and try and make the world a, a better place. And, and I suppose when we're talking about ethics, we're talking, it's quite a broad subject, isn't it? Because I guess there are a number of different aspects to this. So there's the dilemma that some charities have of the end result justifies the the, the means, and and actually, you know, the if helping people is that in itself is ethical. If that's their cause, then that's the surely that's the priority for them. But obviously, they've got a, there's a kind of a grey area then with some of the activities that they uh, they need to undertake and how they undertake them. There's some ethical queries around those, aren't there? So is there a bit of a trade-off sometimes? Does there need to be a trade-off, or, or can they find ways around that? Um, maybe there needs to be some sense of trade-off. But I think you're completely right in what you say that. Uh, you know, charities have for a long time focused very much on the cause, and that is the right thing to do. But actually, there's a, a mo- an argument that they need to be thinking more broadly in terms of how they treat the staff and how, how you, again, supply chains, like I mentioned. And I think um, we were talking a little bit earlier about how millennials uh, are commonly ascribed as a group, and I don't know if they they don't all have the same opinions. But I do starting to feel that. There is a movement among a certain generation of people that we expect more of private companies in terms of the way that they act. It's not enough for them just to focus on profit. And I think that is coming around to charities as well now. 
people expect good behaviour from all of the institutions and organisations in, in our society. And if you get tripped up, like Comic Relief did a few years ago, investing in uh, things that they arguably shouldn't have been investing in, then you'll end up with a bit of a media scrutiny and it won't end well for you. So sure. it's a good thing to be doing for the charity, but also for society to be thinking about how you, uh, how you act and the consequences of the work that you do. And how important do you think is it for charities to recognise that they will be quizzed sometimes on their ethical decision making and uh, for example we've talked in the past about um, corporate partnerships for example and how sometimes charities see those corporate partnerships as an opportunity to engage with a a corporate partner who uh, may be almost counter to their mission in terms of their behaviour but maybe bring them on side and and help to uh, kind of convert them to, to their cause so that not only are they getting support in the actual partnership but they're actually working with uh, industry to uh, improve an industry which is related to their cause and I wonder whether um, but then obviously part of that is is the PR the charity then gets the public perception of the charity so for example I think um, there have been examples many of examples but Oxfam and Coca-Cola might be one of them obviously Oxfam are trying to change the behaviour of Coca-Cola but also benefiting from the funds that Coca-Cola bring to them in the partnership this is a few years ago um, so there's a bit of a conundrum there I think for charities isn't it? Yeah I don't think we should see it as black and white I think you have to judge each partnership on on its merits so you have to weigh the fact that you will you will be giving you may be giving publicity to the partner and what degree of publicity are you giving to them and what effect does that have Uh, but also yeah if you're working with them and actually helping them to improve their uh, their ways then that's a that's a good thing we see the same thing in terms of charities and their investments which I know about from my time editing charity finance is that uh, many charities there's this argument now for fossil fuel divestment there's been big student campaigns to get universities to just completely stop investing in the uh, the big fossil fuel burning companies but actually they, there's a healthy argument that by owning the shares you're the person with the, in the position of power so you can start to work with them and uh, encourage them to change and there's no easy answer to that. Um, it may be that, you know, you might say that not enough progress is being made. There's been some, some of the like ExxonMobil and such like have made commitments to start reporting on their climate impact. But is that enough when they should be actually changing, moving into renewables much faster? And that's interesting for charities, isn't it? Because obviously a lot of charities are, are now compelled, as with other businesses, to to um, provide pension services for their staff and so they're investing money uh, that they're getting um, paid in by the staff match match funding and things like that for, for pensions uh, and they're investing that money and so how important surely it's, it's very important for charities to be thinking where do we invest that money because again there could be conflict if they're investing in um, non-environmental or, uh, or environment damaging um, funds for example um, then that's going to go counter to most causes, isn't it? Whether that's health causes or animal protection, it all relates to environment and climate change. And things like yeah, that. you would think so. And that's the uh, certainly on the investment side, it's quite important to, legally speaking, to stay in line with your charitable objectives. So it's difficult to say, I'm going to take less money in return for <clears throat> doing this honourable thing because I personally believe in it, but actually, uh, it bears no relation to my charity's work as a museum.
and, and the climate crisis, yeah, it's affecting it's affecting everybody, uh, unless you don't believe in it. And there's probably a percentage of people out there that don't, but it, it seems to be affecting everybody. And uh, and so policies, whether that's pensions, investments, anything like that, they need to be thought of. Environmental policies are often part of. Uh, people's ethical policies or their values as well um, in terms of charity values. Yeah, so I think the first thing to do is to look at your, your mission as a charity and how can you align everything you do with that mission. If you're working with people in poverty then are you working with suppliers that uh, put people into poverty or climate change is uh, as, as you say, a, almost the broadest example because that is going to affect everyone uh, overseas and at home. So it's a easier sell actually to say my our charity needs to be uh, thinking about climate change so that's that's stage one is to think about your mission but actually I do wonder if uh, we should be going beyond the mission and just thinking we as citizens feel strongly about this there may be a majority on the trustee board or maybe there's a majority of staff in the organization that feel passionately about something let's let's make a change campaign for it within our own organization absolutely and we know that uh, the majority of Charities, registered charities, and uh, unregistered charities are, are going to be a very small groups of people. So presumably, it's fairly uh, fairly easy to start making individual, if not um, organisational, change happen in, in those ways by being more environmentally friendly. And there are plenty of sources out there, aren't there? I know that the, uh, as we mentioned, the NCVO uh, Civil Society are covering this as well. Um, there's plenty of sources for people to look at to uh, to. to be made well aware of the issues and, and how to address them in, uh, in their charities. One of those things, I suppose, is um, ethical policies um, or ethic, ethics policies. And I know some charities have got those, and that usually incorporates some, some of the things I've seen, the types of things we're talking about, and talking about supply chains as well. Um, what about staff well-being? How does that feature within ethics in charities? Is that? Yeah, well, I think the living wage is, is one. That is, again, difficult, particularly if you're a charity in social care where you know, the going rate is below the living wage for many staff. And also if you're receiving your funding from government and the contractor simply doesn't pay enough for you to pay staff. But it's certainly something I would like all charities to think about, whether we could be paying the living wage even to your cleaners. And if you look at the, uh, the living wage campaign, uh, there's some charities signed up, but there's scope for far, far more charities to be signed up and making that commitment. The other, the other one is almost on the, without wanting to go to the negative stuff, but there's been some, some stories of um, in the past year about bullying and harassment in charities, which is very, quite concerning to see. It might be that, to a degree, this just happens in large organisations and, um, and it's the same in the private sector, so I'm not trying to target charities on this, but equally, it's not something that we can deem acceptable. So we've had issues at Oxfam... Uh, with people in Haiti and the uh, Save the Children with um, sexual harassment by senior executives. Yeah. Uh, UNICEF uh, was found to have a culture of uh, bullying and uh, and that is where the focus on the mission goes so far that you, a charity has forgotten about the impact that it's having on its staff. And the staff are not going to be productive if they're feeling under so much stress and working every hour under the sun. Uh, so that's quite important to think about. And also, I really want to highlight the, uh, the Akivo stat from their survey on uh, bullying and harassment which found that of individuals who had been bullied, only 3% felt that it had been dealt correctly by the charity. Really? So <clears throat> it doesn't seem like a, 
And I think it comes back to HR actually, yeah. and also core costs, which right. we spoke about a little bit about last time. Is charities feel everything has to go to the cause as much mm. as possible. You can't invest in back office. But if you have proper HR, then you can protect your staff and also, you know, protect your charity from uh, legal claims and that sort of thing. So, yes, and, and there's there's the the damage to reputation then leads to a huge amount of damage to the beneficiaries of your cause as well. So, Indeed. can I just mention the uh, fundraising magazine, which is in our stable, the uh, the At What Cost campaign, which has been doing really important work to uh, raise the um, experiences of women working in fundraising. Uh, who have been experiencing sexual harassment. Some of the stories are quite shocking. And uh, it seems to be a particular problem in fundraising because of the, the power that the donor has over the charity. Sure. So there might be pressure on a fundraiser to act in a certain way towards a donor and, or, to, or to brush an experience under the carpet because the charity doesn't want to lose out on the money. So it's important that CEOs and directors of fundraising really stand up and say we're not going to accept any, any of that sort of behaviour. Is that then seen in the, the HR part of a, a charity? Is that is that the responsibility of from inductions right through to uh, ongoing training for staff so they know how to deal with difficult situations and one, what is and what isn't acceptable? Because as you say, it must be, I know that I've, anecdotally I've, I've heard from colleagues in the past about meetings they've gone to, um, I've read a lot of accounts uh, in, in various publications around um, kind of women especially who have been in situations you say who, who have been confronted with um, very inappropriate uh, behaviour from, from supporters and suppliers as well and uh, haven't, haven't been felt equipped to deal with it. So where does that, where would, where would that feature? Is that down to the individual charities? Yeah, I think, uh, I think having a whistleblowing policy is, is vital so that people feel they can um, uh, raise a complaint in a way that won't be held against them and it might not be necessarily with their line manager um, it might be well with the designated person who's doing whistleblowing but also as, as you alluded to it's, it's about culture actually and so you can have the the policies and, and you need to have the policies but also it needs to be conversations these messages need to be repeated over and over again by senior management we don't accept this this is how we deal with this and, and so on and so forth It strikes me that there, there are two aspects to ethics in a way. There's the there's the what you live and breathe in your organisation. There's the how we should be behaving towards one another, and you can you charities can uh, can make that clear in terms of training and support and um, you know every three layers of management and reporting and all these kind of things. Um, and then there's the there's the how a charity is being presented to the public in terms of how ethical they are and the conversations they are then having with the public about uh, their, the, the trade-off that we talked about between um, making sure they're doing right by their beneficiaries but also making sure that they're doing right morally and uh, within society. And so um, the, the second part of that, the kind of the PR piece, I know that, they, you know, go right back to 2015, the the, uh, we talked about this uh, last time I think we, we spoke, uh, you know, these, this huge amount of coverage of a lot of the bad behaviours of charities and um, the, the, uh, ty the types of um, fundraising from direct mail and the Olive Cook story and, and then also to the uh, telemarketing calls and then all sorts of things. Um, even executive pay, you know, which again is, I've seen has kind of come up again recently um, with Mary Stopes. And, uh, 
and so how can charity, how do you feel charities can deal with the PR aspects of it? Obviously, they can have their internal ethics um, and, and training and things like that, but when it comes to talking to the public, do they just refer back to those, or is it a, a different piece of work? Oh, it's so difficult to get a, to get a hearing in, in the media if, if the media wants to report things in a certain way. I certainly think you've got to be ready, so you, you need a, a statement ready to go if a, if a story comes up. I think you need to be able to communicate in a human way. I think sometimes charities respond to these stories with uh, heavily uh, what would you say, massaged or quite uh, formal style, which just isn't going to resonate with the public in human terms, and sometimes not actually engaging with the issue. So if you're in a situation where something you're doing is uh, potentially going to be unpopular with a section of the public, you have to be prepared to explain that and go into detail if, if you need to. You can send a journalist you know, 20 lines if you want to. They might not use all of it, but at least you're giving, giving the information. Yeah. And then um, I do think it was interesting you mentioned Mary Stokes. Yeah. Uh, I, I would always defend charities right to pay the, the right level or market rate levels for CEOs and that often well almost always that is below market rate that these people would be getting in the private sure. sector but the only thing I would say about Mary Stokes is it's not clearly explained in their annual accounts uh, what their remuneration policy was and their message to the media was that essentially he hit some targets and deserved the money but it's not actually clear what the targets were or how the decision was made to come up with his salary and all these things so as a journalist who was friendly to, to the charity sector I, I didn't feel like I understood what was going on there and couldn't really defend it even though it might be completely defensible. It's hard to imagine isn't it I mean I, as I don't have enough information to, to weigh in on it myself but I suppose it's it's hard for the public to uh, to see large sums of money being paid because I guess to be fair it's not I don't see the same level of reporting on uh, commercial chief execs pay so um, and, and maybe there's some reasons for that but you know I'm, I'm kind of uh, too close to the woods to see the trees I suppose yeah we do expect a lot of uh, charities and probably yeah probably more than we expect of, uh, of the private sector in a way and this comes back to this idea that when someone makes a donation it's so valuable that uh, not a penny must be wasted and we almost we owe the donor something. I mean we we do have to take donations seriously but actually I don't see why there isn't the same outrage that the CEO of Tesco earns two million a year we're spending our money in Tesco and spending more on food than we would otherwise be spending so I think there's a double standard there but that's unfortunately the way it is I'm not sure we're going to there's some battles you just have to leave for another day we just got to keep trying to have the conversation I think that's all we all we can do but and trying to explain that charities are the large and they're big complex organisations and you do need very skilled people and also simply the pyramids you've got to keep giving people a little bit more money to step up the pyramid otherwise sure. no one's going to want to do it and costs keep going up don't they so yeah. you know inflation is like that but, but Mary Stokes is a little bit more than uh, most of the equivalently sized charities are paying so that's where they get a little unstuck yeah Someone like the um, Witch magazine, I think there's an argument for them because they don't take donations. They, they're essentially a commercial business that just doesn't make a profit. And so they register as a charity. So perhaps that's a little different. You're, it's essentially a commercial business. So why not make profits out of it? But Mary Stokes does take a lot of public, public money, certainly through government. So.
Yeah, it'd be interesting to see how their um, performance goes next year with all this media coverage as well. Yes, but it, as it, I think public donations is only a very small proportion of their income. So right. as long as the government funders are willing to keep channeling the money, sure. then they'll probably be okay. So ethics, ethics seems to be a, it's a big deal on many levels because obviously it's, it's a big deal to the staff that work at a charity, it's the big deal to the, the supporters of that charity, uh, it's the big deal to the reputation of that charity because if the public is seeing them as unethical and behaving unethically then that will affect the, the, the support that they, they get subsequently in the future. Would you agree that charities can up their game or is, or is it more of a case of PR and publicising the fact that we are behaving ethically, what do you think? I think, well, I think it's both. I think PR could do more, but I think, like I say, my feeling from speaking to people is that there has been this emphasis on the cause above all else, and it probably goes back to the very foundations of charity when it was wealthy, to a large extent, wealthy volunteers doing things out of the goodness of their heart, but the charity sector has changed now, and that's where the confusion or the disconnect with the charity um, the public view of charity has, has occurred because charities have changed, they're professionalised, they are now uh, paying staff to do really important work and it's so vital to, to our society the work that charities do then, why, why not pay people the going rate? But there's still this idea that it should just all be done by Lady Bountiful handouts and that sort of thing. So I think charities themselves still retain a little bit of that mindset in the way that they invest in their core costs and there is uh, a new bit of thinking to be done on not just how do we act towards our beneficiaries, but how can we, what are our supply chains like, what we've mentioned, uh, the treatment of staff, and uh, are we doing as much as we should be doing for the climate emergency. I thought it was worth mentioning, this, again, as we record this podcast, a story that just went up today actually was about, um, it, re- it relates to supply chains, but actually charities that take in donated clothing stock and maybe decide not to sell it in their in their shops but uh, sell it on to a commercial textile recycle. Sure. There's some, apparently, according to the Charity Retail Association, there's, some, there's a lot of very well-run textiles recyclers and other uh, organisations in that field, but there's also some real bad apples actually involving modern slavery and uh, right. you know, really bad things going, going across to Eastern Europe and, yeah. and that sort of thing. So it's quite hard to tell what your uh, supplier companies are doing but it just it underlines the fact that you really need to be asking questions of all of your suppliers actually but specifically in that area uh, can they give you guarantees about how they're treating their staff and what are the knock-on effects of actually what may seem to you like a simple we sell these clothes and get a bit of money out of it yeah because otherwise you're complicit aren't you you're, you're, your cause is complicit in a uh, bad behaviour but at the worst case some illegal behaviour which is uh, hurting people yeah. so it's almost goes beyond ethics in a way doesn't it if it's illegal behaviour then it's, it's a no brainer I suppose yeah. The legal firm Bates Wells is uh, heavily involved in this, working with a coalition of charities who have got together and they're basically saying to the Charity Commission, please can you refer the issue of investing ethically to the Attorney General? Because there is, we are not, charity is not clear about what they need to do under the law. It goes back to uh, a case some 20 years ago, which was called the Bishop of Oxford case, where 
the judge decided that essentially when you're investing money on, on the money markets, your, your responsibility as a charity is to make as much money as possible. And that has now, it feels out of date now that ethical investing is so much more advanced and there's so much more need for it. So the Charity Commission has kind of pushed the legal ruling as far as it can and it says that you can invest ethically and accept a lower return if you can justify the decision that you're making. But charities still feel that this is not this is not clear enough and actually they want um, much more permission to be able to go further and say we want to completely divest from fossil fuel companies or actually we want to invest in fossil fuel companies and engage with them. So. For us in the charity finance world, at least that's a really interesting development and we're all hoping that the Charity Commission, those of us who believe in the cause, are hoping that the Charity Commission might go ahead and do that so we can open up charities to really be a lot freer in the way they invest and go beyond, as we said before, the mission alignment, which at the moment they're very strictly stuck to the mission alignment when actually people with a passion might think I want to go further and I just I just really care about climate change or I really care about poverty. So as it, as it stands if a, if a charity isn't if their mission isn't to improve the climate for example then then they they shouldn't be the current saying is they shouldn't be investing in renewable energy for example they should be if, if that's going to get less of a return than investing in armaments or, uh, or or something else or, or fossil fuels then they shouldn't be that's that's the ruling at the moment is it yes uh, actually there's an, uh, there's a lot of research that's going on to say that eth- ethical or responsible investment can actually not affect your returns at all but there's still this perception that maybe uh, there's a trade-off there or that doing ethical things uh, Will, will let your charity down in some way in terms of the financial return when it's so many people are so passionate about, about this issue and want to, want to change things for the better. There was this issue with, uh, this was about a year ago, the President's Club fundraising events and that raised money for a few charities and then it turned out that this one president's club events there was some uh, very uh, bad behavior there towards um, some of the women hosts female hosts and then there's this big question about giving the money back and I think one, at least one or two charities said we're going to give the money back and then they that was contested by the charity commission so we have to prove that you would there was damage to reputation which um, would, would cost the charity more than you were giving back I think that's right so um, they, I don't think some of these shows weren't able to then give the money back. Yeah, I think Great Ormond Street was, was one of them, wasn't it? Where they, they initially said, oh, we'll give the money back. And they ended up with a huge public outcry of people saying, you're giving away good money. Why are you doing this? And so they ended up actually keeping the money in the end. And so that's a, it's a dilemma for people to think about. The other example recently was the Sackler Trust, who... Um, the family, the Sackler family, made a lot of money out of the opioid epidemic in the US, where uh, it's obviously had terrible consequences for the people who have become addicted to opioids. And actually, a lot of museums and arts organisations have declined to take money from the Sackler Foundation. So that's actually a good example of where they're probably right to not accept the money because they don't want the Sackler family or the foundation. Uh, benefiting from the good PR that comes with giving to charity and they felt they had to take a stand. But it's, it is difficult. If the public finds out you're rejecting good money, then they might not be happy about it. So you've got to think very closely about it. And as you said before, have, have a, a response, a well-thought-through uh, response to that. Yeah. Indeed, yeah. The NCBO guidance on ethics is actually quite good if, if uh, any, any of your listeners haven't seen it yet. It's very... 
Uh, it's very short and simple, which I mean in a, is a good thing. It, you can you can overlay your own personal uh, beliefs or particular agenda on top of it, but it, it kind of covers three main areas. One of them is integrity, so that's making sure you have proper decision-making processes to, to do the right thing, but that also includes, it explicitly mentions the environment and supply chains. So NCO is clearly getting behind those changes within the guidance. It also talks about openness, they're very big on transparency, so we mentioned a little bit about annual reports, being willing to disclose what's going on. In a sensible way, you can't just give out figures and then not explain why the figures are there, otherwise that could be counterproductive, but being willing to explain yourself in detail. And having the courage in those publications to say what hasn't worked well, perhaps, which is a bit of a challenge sometimes. I mean that's so important and it's, that is challenging for charities who don't want to take the risk of revealing or, or putting off donors but a lot of the charities that have taken that approach would argue that they, their funders and their donors feel reassured by the honesty, honesty in their annual reports and their accounts and are actually that bolsters their trust in them but it's a, it's a road to go down I think for a lot of charities still. The other area in the NCBO guidance is the, the right to be safe, which we've, we've covered as well, but uh, protecting staff, volunteers and also your beneficiaries. Gareth Jones, thank you for contributing to Charity Chat thank again. <laughs>
RIR Photography for the Pro Bono images they've provided us for the website, and of course Forrester Fools who've been playing throughout the show and are playing us out right now. That's it from us. Speak to you soon. Cheerio. Bye-bye.